Hello everyone, welcome. We'll be speaking about a topic that's not a very pleasant topic, but a very important topic, because it addresses an issue that so many of us face. And that is the issue of when you feel like giving up on life. And I don't mean necessarily the suicidal context, which of course it also includes, and unfortunately is also a reality we have to contend with. But I mean even on a very basic level, when a person really feels hopeless. Despair is one of the most horrible and terrible human conditions. Because it's one thing to be suffering and pain and you feel somewhat some hope, some confidence. There's something to work with. Even the most trying circumstances, if you, that you, and you know that you have, you in some way you feel that you can get through it. You see a light at the end of the tunnel. And a light by the end of the tunnel, and the light of the end of the tunnel does not mean the light of the oncoming train. So there's at least some glimmer of hope. But when a person loses that hope, and they really want to give up, uh, what, what is there to work with? If they give up on life and its possibilities, what is left? That's what we're going to be addressing. And to do so, as you may be familiar with my approach, my style, that I've been taught, that I believe is the best way to approach these things, is we need to go right into the abyss, yes, into the darkest crevices and corners of that type of hopelessness and despair. To be honest, I have not been in a place like that in my life. I'm sure, I mean, everyone has maybe a little taste of it, but not really in a serious way, but I've seen people in that situation. So it's hard to put yourself in those shoes, but due to empathy and compassion and our ability to, um, what they call mirror neurons, to mirror someone else's darkness, we can attempt to, to go to that place. The bottom line, it's a place where you feel there's no way out. So what do you do? So you either have to go into complete denial of, not, of ignoring your circumstances and just forging ahead day by day without any real plan. If you're going to face the reality that you're really going nowhere, it can become really destructive, self-destructive to the point of behavior that may not be at all um, uh, conducive to uh, positive things, to put it mildly. Or the third thing is you fight. You just become a fighter. You're always fighting and you get exhausted and drained. Excuse me. You get exhausted and drained. And um, it doesn't go anywhere because you're hitting a wall again and again and again. So there's a fourth alternative which we're going to explore. And that is, first let's pose the question. If you indeed feel hopeless, even if it's not true, doesn't matter, you feel it's true, then you become your own worst enemy, so what could you do with that? What, like I said, what do you have to work with? However, that, that, therefore the only option really is, is to introduce you or the person who's in this level of despair and want to give up on life to introduce you to another dimension of yourself that you may not have seen yet. Basically, it's like saying, the person you are right now, your identity, your psyche, the self that you're aware of, yes, is in a hopeless situation. But perhaps there's another dimension of yourself, which there, there is a glimmer of hope, if not more. That would be the approach that I believe is the best way to go. Because I said, if you're going to battle with a person on their turf, where they've already come to a determination, correct or incorrect, it's, of, it's of obviously incorrect, but they have come to that determination. You don't know my situation. 
whatever has happened to me, I don't, even if this is hope, I don't believe I can do it. And all, those, all that language that's coming from a very deep, painful place, what are you going to do with that? Say, no, you're wrong. Let's say you're wrong. So we'll have an argument. But that person goes back to their lonely, dark place, hopeless state, and, and what are you left with? So the, uh, the approach that I want to submit here and suggest is to introduce another self that's there, maybe laying dormant, quiet, silent, asleep, to access that, and there, therein lies new wellsprings of hope. So how do we do that? And that, to me, is the only real way that we're going to get anywhere. So how does one do that? So there, you need to paint a picture. A person who's in a situation of such despair, obviously, if they don't show up, they just like themselves and they don't at all make any appearance. It gets very difficult to talk to them. You can't even introduce them to anything. But we have to assume that there's some opening. Not opening for hope because they feel hopeless. But opening for conversation. And the key is to find something that resonates. That touches that person in a place that no matter how dark it is. They, something, some glimmer. Something emerges. Because here's the story. The objective story. Not the way that person sees it, the way reality is. That there's no such thing as utter and total and absolute darkness. Everything has a spark in it. A black hole, as black as it is, it's full of energy. It's full of light that can't escape. And the same thing in the human spirit. The darkest of the dark is your experience of it. And you don't experience and sense that spark, but there's a spark. So that's the fact that we, the so-called the friend, the person who's doing the mentoring or the teaching, is the one that conveys that. You need to have that confidence. The other person still doesn't have that confidence. So it doesn't necessarily help directly, but it helps because you need to know. And this is a very important rule in general as a friend, as a mentor, as a, as a teacher, as an educator, as an inspiration. What your role is as a coach is you don't have to necessarily always communicate and convey what the truths you're aware of that the other person who has a blind spot is not aware of. But you need to know it. Because when you know it, you have the confidence. Because the worst thing is that you buy into that person's narrative. And then you say, you know, you're right. There's no more hope. Let's move on. So you need to have inside of you the knowledge that there's no such thing as total darkness. It can appear as such. And the subjective experience of someone who's really suffered, especially at the hands of loved ones, and really felt a step place where there was nowhere to run, they feel that way, and we validate that, and we confirm that. But you know that there's more. Because the soul, and that's the key thing, the confidence that the soul, no matter how much it's wounded, and how much it's compromised, and how much it's betrayed or violated, it always has the spark or the sparks that remain alive. Like a pilot flame. So the challenge here is not just to convince someone that they have a pile of flame, but is to show them another dimension of their self, another self. So how do you do that? So there's two ways to do it. One will talk from the top down and one from the bottom up. To put it in different, one behaviorally, from the bottom up, and one from the top down, we'll call it going introspection and a study, a deeper study of the psyche. Let's start with the latter one. You don't necessarily have to tell somebody who's in despair, you know what, I'm going to show you how you shouldn't be in despair. First of all, their defenses go up, and they may be already invested in this uh, hopelessness, and it may not be helpful to say that. 
However, you could say, let's read together, let's study. And you could be studying about a third party. It doesn't even have to be about this person. But you're studying about the beauty of the soul. So it's conceptual at this point. Beauty of the soul, the beauty of a person's journey in this earth, even the trials and tribulations. Let the person imagine, let it be a dream, let it be a, a fantasy. Let it be like watching a film or reading a book about a beautiful life. Many people who are very dark do that, and they escape there. They'll say to you, it's not real, it's, not fa- it's, not, it's fantasy, it's not real in my life, but at least I have a moment of respite, a moment of peace, a moment of solace and calm. That's one thing. So it's exposing them to another reality. At this point, they don't even apply it to themselves. There's an interesting expression in the, in the Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, that judgment is, is, uh, is ruled. The ver- How do you say it? Judgment is passed on a person consciously, knowingly, and unknowingly. So the question is, what means unknowingly? So the explanation given by the Baal Shem Tov, the great Hasidic master and founder, says that when someone is judged we're talking about in a good way, in heaven, they will ask you like this, they'll say, if a certain situation was so-and-so, talking about someone that's not in your knowledge, not knowingly, meaning it's not, you don't know about it, what would be the rule? What would you suggest? Since you're not talking about yourself, you're going to be far more objective and far more honest. And you'll suggest this and this should be done in that circumstance. So then, if I'm whatever you ruled on that person, on that hypothetical, is now applied to you because you rule it on yourself. It's a very fascinating concept because there are times that you directly can tell someone, confront someone, challenge them, and so on. Sometimes that's not the way to go, especially when someone is in a very uh, dark place. The way to go is, let's talk about a third party, let's talk about fantasy. But meanwhile, that person is exposed to something that is different than their perspective. So at this point, it's a cognitive life raft, meaning it's a cognitive journey. It's like fantasy, literally escapism. But the fact of the matter is, you've planted a seed. Then let's talk bottom-up, behaviorally. You find out what a person is good at, or likes to do. Music. There are people who are very depressed and very hopeless, but they'd like to play music. They may not be in the mood, but you find some excuse. You say, let's, you know, I'm bringing a special child, let's, let's, why don't you play the violin or piano or some other instrument for this child? Certain volunteerism. Things that the person has no interest in doing because they are given up, but you find a way to get them involved. So here you have another so-called, I don't want to call it a trick or a gimmick, but what you're doing is you're introducing a person to another alternative script. And at this point, they completely don't apply to themselves. They'll say, you know what, okay, I'll do you a favor, let's go to the hospital, let's go volunteer, let's go help somebody. Or we'll escape first step, into another type of uh, reality. We'll talk about a hero. I mean, so many people have told me of the empowerment they get when they read certain novels, whether it's the Count of Monte Cristo through vengeance or other things. So though they may never experience it, but they feel good for the moment because they feel, ah, at least somebody did it, and I feel I can live vicariously through that person. And then the behavioral. Getting a person to do things that are life-affirming. Once you begin developing these two directions, these two, direction, these two directional approaches, 
slowly, slowly you're introducing another self to this person, which is really part of him or herself, but he or she doesn't know it yet. And the more you can get them engaged in that way, the more you're introducing them to another model. Now in truth, as I mentioned, every person is born, nobody's born in the abyss. Nobody's born hopeless. Everybody's born with the giggle, the smile, the confidence, the just the innocence and sincerity of a newborn child. When do we develop a darker attitude is when things happen. Either the dark attitude of our parents or the way they treat us, the way other adults treat us, invalidate, criticize, undermine and betray and violate our, our dignity one way or another. So then you begin believing the story that you're being told or the way the message that is being sent to you through their uh, language, through their language, through their body language, through their behavior. But what happened to that child? That never disappeared. That's just going undercover. In fear, that child is now, is now like hiding under the table or hiding in the inner closet within your psyche, remaining. So in fact, when you do these two things, you teach the person about the possibilities of what a soul is capable of. And you take the behavioral approach, what you really do is empowering that child that went undercover to come back out. That so many years ago, it went to conceal itself. It went to hide and developed another personality to satisfy others, to perform, to go through the hoops. And what you're really doing is without the person even knowing, you're introducing them to who they really are. If you think about it, it's a tremendous psychological tool. So when people say, I'm not capable of something, I'm not capable, I can't do it, and then you introduce and show them how they could do it, what happens is a breakthrough. The breakthrough is, number one, you're not always right about yourself. And number two, you actually begin to do it, and you begin to build confidence. Now, I'm not suggesting a magic pill or a quick fix of reaching a place where it's such despair. Someone's giving up. You could just change that overnight. But I am suggesting that with a regimen, a constant diet of feeding and, and, uh, and developing, helping cultivate these elements in a person, both from the top down and bottom up, from, well, one from conceptually envisioning heroes, people who have done certain things, and two, behaviorally acting in a certain way that's life-affirming and positive, these two will meet. And when they meet, you can actually introduce a new self, a new identity to the individual we're talking about. Very, very hard to do yourself because you're not going to paint a picture of a more beautiful, because your picture is a very bleak one. And the same thing with the behavioral. Someone, if you're not motivated, you're not motivated. That is why we're so needed to help each other. I remember, it was years ago, so the Shabbat after the saddest day in the year, Tisha B'Av, ninth of Av, is Shabbos Nachamu, it's called. Shabbos of Consolation. The consoling begins, the comforting begins for seven weeks, leading right into Rosh Hashanah. The comforting after a break, after an abandonment, after a betrayal. And it's a tremendous lesson. I've written a number of articles. You can find them at MeaningfulLife.com. My book, 60 Days, which begins actually the journey next week, is also about this. The journey from beauty, innocence, betrayal, and regained and reclaimed uh, uh, love. So love, betrayal, and reclaiming the love, which then becomes with even more intensity. 
So this Nachamu period, beginning this past week and continuing now for, as I said, seven weeks, very, very powerful seven-step process. And it's actually a dialogue between the Jewish people and God. After the temples were destroyed, so God sends the, angel, the angels to comfort them. So then they complain, why are you sending angels? You heard us, why don't you come and comfort us? And a long story and a long narrative each week, a call and response, God and the people, all documented in these articles I wrote, seven articles, seven steps towards healing and consolation. You can check it out at MeaningfulLab.com. So the question is asked, if God at the end is going to console the people himself, why does he send messengers and angels? This is a question I talked about many years ago. Some of you may be aware of this. If not, then become aware now. We used to do these weekend camping retreats. Once a summer, one year, it was two, two weeks in the summer. One summer, usually this week, Shabbos Nachmu, that the, the week, the Shabbat of comfort, we'd go to a camping site, some hundreds of people, pitch tents with professionals and all that, and rough it, yeah. And it rained and sometimes other natural elements that we're all exposed to, the natural elements, the elements. And we had a very professional staff who helped pitch tents so they really knew what they were doing. And also a staff to help people who were transitioning. Some people never slept in a tent before. I was one of them. So you need to have like a staff of like support and, and uh, comforting, if you wish. And we had a whole uh, meeting, we had a whole structure that if anybody has a complaint, you, help them, you have someone who personally um, is um, designated to work with them and help them either pitch the tent or help them with the food or help them with other things they may need. I mean, you need customer service like that even in a five-star hotel, but especially in a rougher situation where things can become unpredictable, people can become, un- it can become quite unnerving and so on. So there was one woman who came and she was in a very, very bad mood. And our team, a great team, one person went to talk to her. And nothing satisfied her. She wasn't happy with the location. She wasn't happy with the tent. She wasn't happy with the people. She wasn't happy with anything. The food, everything was a problem. So we had a hierarchy. If someone couldn't handle it, went to a more superior person. Finally, it came to me. Nobody could deal with her. She just refused. She was, and she was, she was also being very obnoxious and very angry. So ready, Shabbos was coming close, so we can't send her back. So I went to speak with her. Very, very aggravated. And I saw right away, early on, there's nothing that we can do to make it better. It's going to have to be something that she is working through. And we just have to be kind. So I said to her, look. And I offered her everything. I said, we'll bring you a meal, whatever you want. No. And I decided in these situations, I just said to her, look, we're here for you. You're here already. Let's make the best of it. It's going to be a beautiful Shabbos. There's a lot of beautiful people, beautiful interactions, food, singing, the prayers. It's just great. So she wanted to stay by her tent. I sent someone to bring her some foods. She wasn't happy with that either. And that was that. You know, you have to realize sometimes you can't do anything more. The next morning at the service, the prayer service, I gave a talk. I was Nachamu, and I asked this question. Why did God send a messenger when at the end... The Jews weren't happy, and God did come himself. And the response I gave was the following, that God could comfort human beings, obviously, but that human beings can comfort human beings. We're all mortals. We're all flawed. How could a mortal come from comfort another mortal? It's like one wounded person can comfort another wounded person. 
But that's what God infused and gave us a gift. I'm giving you the gift of compassion. I'm giving you the gift of empathy. I'm giving you the gift of being able to help each other. Even if you yourself in a situation, you can help another in that similar situation. And sometimes you can help others even more than you help yourself. And then it comes back to you and helps you as well. That's what I shared. And that's what God wanted to infuse. And that's why he sent the angel. Not because he was avoiding comfort, dealing with the Jews directly. He wanted us to have the power to comfort each other. So just a bit. After my talk, I see the woman that we were talking about standing outside the tent at the side. I remember this vividly. So at least 15 years, probably 20 years ago. She calls, she calls me over. So I come over and she says to me the following words. She says, you know, I know how difficult I have been. And, uh, and I want to apologize. I have nothing to do with you people. You've been only the kindest. Nobody reciprocated. And everything you've done was... was but I am in a very bad place. In a very dark place. You see, my son, today, this Shabbos Nachamu, is his first yard site. The first year of his passing. My young son, a 19-year-old, I think she said, who just died. As for a mother, there's nothing worse. I would have rather die before he, that, he sh that he should live. Losing the future, losing your child. And I came here just to thought maybe the Shabbos, I could just escape from it, forget it. And I just, when I came here, I mean, wherever I would have been, I would have been miserable. So it has nothing to do with you guys. But you know something, Rabbi, she says, you comforted me now. So your words were fulfilled. You have the power to comfort. We can comfort each other. Yes, we have love to have God's comfort, and I'm sure that's an infinite type of comfort, but there's something very soothing and very comforting about the human comfort that we can embrace each other because we're in it together. God is above it all, and you have comforted me. I was very touched by her words. I asked her permission to share the story, but I'll never forget it. And what is the point? The point is that when you see someone in such despair, in darkness, and they can't see other, anything but their darkness, but you could see different. And therefore we have an obligation, a gift, I would say. The gift of empathy, the gift of identifying and empathizing with that person. And as much as possible, putting yourself in their shoes and saying, you know what, let's do something together. Either bottom up or top down. Let's learn about some person. Like in the case of, um, of, of this person, you know, she heard me speak about something type of comforting and it comforted her and the second thing behaviorally let's do things that bring us a little strength and even though initially the person may kick and scream and they may say it's not doing anything for me I'm different and so on don't ever accept that they may not feel it but it's happening and the process has begun it's a tremendous concept because we all need this you know, I'm talking obviously very dark and despair pla despairing places of deep despair but who does not go through times of lack of, of, of a shaking, their confidence is, is shaken up, self-esteem is eroded, or other things that suddenly we second-guess ourselves. So we have the ability to lift ourselves up to a higher place by reading, envisioning, dreaming, fantasizing even about a better reality, about people who lived in a, in a deep, better reality. And they were preserved, they were saved, they, they had salvation. And secondly, the actions, to behave like a winner, even if you don't feel so. When you're around winners and you behave like them, it actually rubs off. And both those things together, 
in a sustainable way, meaning not once in a while, you keep at it, can tremendously transform a human being from the darkest of the dark to the brightest of the bright. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people who began, or I began when I first met them, only negative energy. Like the real black hole, everything they would suck out of you, you could almost feel it. They come into a room, meet somebody, always felt their negativity was always the most dominant feature. And I've seen a change. Slowly, it changed. And today they have tremendous energy. They still have dark energy, but it's under control because the focus of the energy is to helping people on both levels, on all levels that I'm describing right now. And that changes the entire dynamic. That changes the entire dynamic because then you have what you have is positive energy is flowing. And as I said, whatever it takes, there's an expression, a person should always be involved in Torah Mitzvah, for ulterior motives. From that it'll come to, for, to, uh, to selfless motives. So there's nothing wrong with doing it for some reason or not thinking it's about you. But the bottom line is you're being trained in the process, and this training will ultimately transform the individual. So we are in these weeks where we have the terrible break, the terrible schism, true betrayal. Think of our relationships, a betrayal and, an, a, uh, and a, a, a violation of, of, of promises, of vows, of commitments, of the love. And yet, nevertheless, no matter how dark it was, hope came. Hope springs eternal. And it's these weeks, these seven weeks, which lead into Rosh Hashanah, then to Yom Kippur, that ultimately teach us about forgiveness, about renewal, about rebuilding. You think, you know, you're rebuilding. Okay, you're fixing patches. No, you rebuild, and it can be greater and stronger than what was there in the first place, because now it's withstood, withstood a challenge. It's withstood a break. And yet we still maintain the relationship. So a relationship that is reclaimed after it's been betrayed is far deeper than the one that's never been betrayed because the one that's never been betrayed has never been tested. Here it's been tested. And we've dug deeper. And that's the purpose and the work that we're supposed to be doing now. So no matter what situation you're in, even if you don't see the hope or you don't see the way out, it can be transformed. So we develop a new self. I remember a, um, so an online entity. It was like, I think it was called Second Life, maybe. I may be wrong. I mean, people pay top dollar to create a Second Life online. A lot of it was very, frankly, I found it to be quite, gro- quite uh, gruesome. Gruesome is not maybe grotesque is the word I'm looking for. I found it to be very disturbing. Why? It's like a fake life. Everything, a whole new world, a fantasy world. But one thing that struck me was, on a positive note, that sometimes when you see yourself in negative terms, the way to deal with it is not necessarily to become an argument with yourself and debate, because you may never win, because you're blinded. The person with a blind spot is not going to see beyond the blind spot. However, there's approach number two that I've been discussing, and that is introduce another individual into the picture. It's really you. You are the other individual. Introduce a different identity and self, and say, you know what? That person's reacting in a very interesting way. I like that reaction. And then you can contrast contrast it with your reaction, with a negative, unhealthy reaction. And you'd be surprised to discover, here's a new personality has emerged. Wow, powerful. Look how powerful that is. 
That's the goal. And then you really come to discover that that new personality is the real you. The you that was hopeless is actually not the real you, but you don't know that yet. That's why it has to be done very gradually in a sensitive way. But it's a, a very powerful lesson in dealing even with the most difficult situations. Now, of course, there are people who are never going to let another self emerge. They will always dominate their negative, hopeless, despairful, I don't know if that's a word, but a, world, a life of this, full of despair and hopeless and so on, and they don't let another voice in. And even if it comes in, they drown it out. So how do we deal with that? The answer is, it ultimately comes down to some form of humility. No person, no person can grow without humility. Everything I've said now can only happen if somebody is humble enough to say, oh, let me look at this other self. But if you're so self-consumed like a narcissist, and especially in self-pity, and seeing how self-destructive you can be, that becomes your personality. So that's why it's extremely difficult to just allow you to just go in that place. That's why we need friends. We need others. We need to study things that help lift us up to a place like that. But it's absolutely doable and absolutely transformative in nature. Because it's taking the flawed human being and saying you could do something about your situation. Because you, nothing is hopeless, nothing is fatalistic, nothing, there's never the end. Because God is lying behind the choreography and within the story. So the challenge is to find people that you believe in, not people who don't believe in you, or you believe in and they believe in you, I should say, not people who don't believe in you, because you want that confidence. You want people who will reaffirm or affirm in the first place your value. That birth is God saying that you matter, that you have this tremendous value, you this indispensable contribution to make. And when you have that attitude, everything becomes different. Now, it's very easy to gravitate back to your old personality. That is why this needs, you need to hold on. It's like a flame that needs to now catch. So you need to feed it with fuel. And we feed it the fuel with our actions. Just like there are actions that get us out of the place because we're at least behaving in a certain way we think we're volunteering or helping someone else temporarily. Just like there's that, that situation, then there's also another thing where you come to finally discover, you know what? This is really where I should be. And that is a critical, critical element in the whole process. The process of discovering that the real you is not the miserable you. The real you is the good you. That's been undercover. And now you're reclaiming it. What's more exhilarating than to reclaim yourself? Instead of being deceived by a personality, by a mask, by a costume, an outfit that maybe fits you, but it's not necessarily reflective of you. And that's the concept of transforming your thought, speech, and action. To change your faculties is not that simple. But your, what, your, the expression of those faculties, what are you going to think about? What are you going to speak about? What are you going to do? It's completely in our hands. You could say, you know what? I see something that tempts me. But that's, you saw it. And it may in some way affect you. But conscious thought, deliberate thought, and speech and action is in your hands all the time. So all this adds to the equation of what we're capable of, what we're possible, what's possible to be achieved, and ultimately in this journey that we're talking about, which is when you feel like giving up, when you feel like giving up on life, that that should never be an option. Because life is a blessing, and life is a gift, and you were given this gift, and you were given with particular skills how to actualize your life in this world. 
So what, you're going to throw all that out because of what? Because of fears? Because of a, a, a dysfunctional childhood? So you have, you, you, who's at stake here? You. And since you're at stake, everything is possible. Imagine the, the tragedy for a young person who's not yet jaded, has not yet experienced true disappointments, suddenly feels all hopeless. You're too young to feel hopeless. And the truth is, this should spill over to all ages. But especially a younger person, when you hear that type of attitude, your soul, your soul is so pure. Your soul has so much potential. Nothing of it has been actualized yet. And that creates another reality, which initially, as I said, you may not be accustomed to it, and may not even think it's you. But then slowly, slowly, you come to discover, you know what? That person is me. That person is me. And now I'm going to live up to that type of the demand for dignity and majesty and, and self-confidence and self-esteem. That person is you. Yes, you are a king. You are a queen. You're Malchus reincarnate itself, a manifestation of everything that's dignified about life. And you deserve life. You deserve its gifts. The fact that people suffer, people experience different losses, that's part of God's mysterious plan. But right now, the fact of the matter, the things you've blessed with, use them to the fullest. Are you doing that? Or are you just agonizing over the demons and the darkness? And that's the direction, my friends, where we should be going. I speak about it also this week for another reason, because today was also... I just want to make sure. Was also the 20th of Av, which is the 75th yard site, anniversary of the passing of the Rebbe's father, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. He died in bitter exile in Kazakhstan. They sent him off, and he suffered greatly. And as the Rebbe would talk about, my Rebbe, my teacher, that he was Mesiris Nefesh. He gave, sacrificed his life for every detail of Judaism. So he has a fascinating manuscript that he wrote where he talks about the suffering he's endured. And not only that, though he was a great Kabbalist and he would write a lot of Kabbalah, mysticism. So he gives a whole mystical insight to every prison he was at, to their names, to the numbers, to the number of rooms in each one, all demonstrating how they're all connected to what we call severities, Gevura. To describe his own name, Levi Yitzchak, all manifestations of the severities of life. In other words, even in his darkest, in the darkest abyss, at the, where he was, where he was at, at the mercy of these, these horrible, these obscene um, captors, he saw in everything deeper purpose. He saw in everything mystical meaning. That was not escape. He went to find another self, the self that would help him survive. And you hear this about all the greats, the previous rabbi, how he decided that he's not going to budge an inch and he's not going to compromise because he needs his spirit. And, and you look throughout history, the medieval age scholars, the medieval scholars, Rashi, the Ramban, the Rambam, and so on, Evan Ezra, they all wrote these commentaries. If you read, if you read the commentaries, you'd think deconstructing literature today, that you could find that they suffered. No, you don't find it. Once in a while, they may hint to it, but it's not, most people suffer, you're going to see it in every word that they write. That's called deconstructing literature today, to discover that. Here, the opposite. A certain aloofness, a certain obliviousness to the suffering around. Not that they didn't care, they cared greatly. 
but they were able to go to an oasis of another reality. And this is what the Jewish people did every time they suffered greatly. They invoked different verses, they prayers, all to give us a picture of a better world, a better reality, a Mashiach reality, a place where we'll ultimately end up and with the total confidence we're on our way. Today, we don't have the dark that they had. Today, the darkness is more psychological, more emotional. But the same attitude, we forge ahead, we march ahead with a full confidence that there's another self inside of you. And if you can actually see it in your lifetime, you could actually see it in your lifetime, there's no greater exhilarating feeling because it's like seeing what I am or what I've done actually will be a fruit, leaves a legacy, leaves an impact on this generation, generations to come. Now there's so much more that can be said on this powerful and sad topic, but suffice it for now, I have spoken about, we, you know, in the Meaningful Life Center we address every topic from joy to pain, from optimism to depression, including how to, um, what to do when you feel like you're giving up on life. We don't hesitate. I've never hesitated stepping away, avoiding difficult questions. So please join us in this journey, in this sharing, with questions and comments, likes, social media, and all the channels where we broadcast. And we're here every week, and we take your suggestions for future classes. So if you have a topic you'd like me to address more in depth other than a quicker answer that I do Sunday night, I'll be happy to address it. And of course, there's the Sunday night program that I also have, which is My Life Chassidus Applied for those that want to go a little more in depth, addressing questions to answers. So it's vital to always look for more. If you go online, you'll find on the topic of the constellation, even the topic I address now, which is the point of what to do when a person is in such despair, introducing them to another self, which is really them, to the point that they come to learn who it is, and then, and then they grow from there. So we have a, an array of resources at MeaningfulLife.com. Please go there, share, as I said, comment in every possible way. We're here for you. We also rely on your financial support, so please, as we come, approach the month of Elul, the new year, please generate, please contribute generously and graciously, and we thank you up front for that, because that's what helps us move along, that's what keeps the wheels greased, that's what keeps having the ability to sustain our activities and grow in all of them. So thank you so much, we're here every Wednesday, 8.30, Eastern Standard Time, it's then archived, so it's really accessible all the time, and we also have the Sunday Night Live program, and a, and a wealth of resources at MeaningfulLife.com. Everyone be blessed. It was a real pleasure and honor, as always, to talk to you. People, hopefully, I'll give a blessing, should never have to come to that level of despair and darkness, being thrown in a pit. But if there is something like that in your life, something close to that, or other people, there is a solution. Do not give up. We are stronger. Light is always more powerful than darkness. Remember that. So everyone have a blessed week. Until next week, a week of revealed blessings. And even if there is some setback and some darkness, to reveal the greater power within that black hole. Be well. Thank you so much.